Hello everyone, this is Saqib and this is a special episode. Normally we don't record an episode during middle of the week, but guess what? Uh, the World Cup of Clay, Roland Garros starts in four days and our good friend, uh, Mert Etunga is already in Paris. He's attended two days of quality qualifying and now as he retires to his apartment room, he's agreed to fill me in and fill all of you in on what he's seen so far at this year's uh, first two days of the qualifying and uh, let's pick his brain. Hey Mert, how are you? Sakib, great to be with you again. Anytime. I think any um, when people have you know you on the podcast, I think this is very informative stuff. Uh, so let's get ready. So yeah, just uh, walk us through what what has stood out so far at this year's uh, first two days. Well, here's what I've observed, Sakib, and this is a, this this should come as no surprise, but it seems like we somehow expect something different every year, and yet every single year reality slaps us in the face and just what just from the first two days of qualifying what you what you notice is that at the end of the day this is the red clay court major of the year and guess who's who's winning most of the matches it's those guys and um, and gals who are able to simply keep the ball in play and make less mistakes be more consistent uh, make less unforced errors when it counts and keep the ball in play longer and not go for silly winners when it's 5-all and 30-all in the third or 2-2 in the tiebreaker and so forth. So once again, it's mostly these uh, baseline consistent players who are speedy with their legs and get to a lot of balls and get back that win matches. And uh, there are there were many examples of this in the first two days. I mean, you, you, I, there, were, there was... Uh, there was a Blancano, the French guy. That, that's the style he played with, and he won. Tabernard, you know, won that way. Zop won that way. Or Gerald Yassim won, won that way. Sosa beat Morang this way. Uh, today, Polanski beat Gombos. At the end of the day, he, came, he, he made a big comeback. He lost the first set and won the second set in a tiebreaker. Then won the third a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, he was the more solid player giving away less points, running more balls down. Uh, same with Oliveira defe- defeating Kubler. Um, Andrej Martin defeated Kevin King the same way. Kevin King is... Uh, I mean, some of these matches may have had different uh, results on on a faster court, but because we are playing on red clay and we are in Paris, uh, you know, Travaglia, Dutra Silva... Uh, in the women, there was uh, the, the, there were not many matches finished in the women on the women's side. They just played today, and, and there was the rain interruption. But uh, Martina Trevisan beat uh, Françoise Abanda of, of of Canada in the same way. At the end of the day, she was the more consistent player. Mm-hmm. Grace Min beat uh, Jill Teichman same way. Uh, I could just go on and on and on. There yeah. were very very few exceptions to the rule. Right. Um, Let's one, the exception, Riley Opelka, who just won the challenge in Bordeaux, he just, uh, yes. I think, served his way through his Dutch opponent. Uh, I think, I don't know if I say his name right, Greg Spore, and it was seven mm-hmm. five six three. So, did you get a chance to take a peek at Riley Opelka? Actually, no. That match, I did not get a chance to peek, and I, I don't really uh, uh, want to talk, I don't like to talk about matches that I haven't seen, but at the same time, I can't I can say this about uh Opelka, I think Opelka, as much as he's uh, he's uh, you know grown up in the um, in the United States, and as much as he's got a big serve and a big game, um, 
I, I tend to think that he can do well on any surface because because of his because of his spot. He gets the, the way he spots the ball on his shots. He's got pretty good timing, whether it's whether outside the serve. I mean, he's mostly seen as a big server, but uh, he can also strike a, strike a, some big forehands from different spots on the on the court, and he moves fairly well for a big guy. So I did not see that match. So I don't want to talk about um, you know that, uh, that his, his performance here. I will watch his second match though. He's playing Kovalik, and that should see that should be an incredibly interesting match. But I'm not that uh, that surprised that he um, he won, and I'm not sure that I would um, I would like to see him against Kovalik. I think that'll be a very good measure of of um, of where he is on on clay courts. But yes, that would be. That you could consider that an exception. I would consider uh, Gunes Waran, the Indian guy, beating uh, Caruso, the Italian guy, an exception. And he beat him, actually, not by being consistent, but rather by playing a risky type of tennis. You know, so that would, that went against the, against the stream. Uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. but those are few and far between. Yep. Uh, so how's the clay playing? Is it, uh, are the conditions hot and uh, dry? Are the, is the ball flying? Uh, that's why maybe an Opelka is also being a factor. Again, I know it's only one match, but is the ball flying out there? Well, that, that's, you know, you touched on an interesting subject because uh, Roland Garros is known for, for um, pretty much every year as, as having the best clay courts in the world. And, um, and um, uh, players consider the clay courts of Roland Garros as, as top-notch. And uh, so far this year, so far just in these two days here, we've had a lot of matches with bad bounces, and I've seen a lot of uh, players complain about bad bounces, including although there are no matches being played there. I watched Serena Williams play play uh, practice uh, yesterday morning, and she was complaining about uh, getting a lot of bad bounces, even on Chatrier. She was practicing on Chatrier, and uh, so uh, and I saw a bunch of qualifiers just. You know, having to adjust at the last second, a ball not bouncing or bouncing or bouncing too much. So there are some uh, some bad bounces coming around. Now there's a new court, uh, court 18, that just opened up for the first time, and um, and uh, it, it's put into use for the first time. It's got stands around it, and it's a it brings some much needed relief and extra space. Now that court seems um, seems seems. Consistent. In other words, there are not many bad bounces there. In fact, uh, the guy who's responsible of that court, I talked to him, the the, the court maintenance guy who's responsible of setting that court up, yep. uh, used to be the guy for 13 years who was more in charge of courts number two and three. And uh, lo and behold, it actually plays like those courts, uh, those courts two and three. Now, number three doesn't exist anymore. It's got it's gotten taken down. I'm sorry, number two. It's gotten taken down, but number three is still there. And he moved apparently over to court 18 to make sure that that court gets settled down well. But, uh, you know, so the, the, from court to court, it changes, Sakib. Not every court at Roland Garros plays the same. Some so There are some courts that bounce more. There are some courts that are drier and that bounce that yeah. bounce less or, or faster. But not every court plays the same. And I, when I remember, I mean, uh, I was there only once, two years ago. There's some courts that have a lot of shade when it comes to the tree, and then some courts don't get the shade. I don't know if that's a factor. I don't think that's that's that much of a factor. I know which courts you're talking about. You're you're talking about the courts on the other side of Suzanne Langland. Yes. And, so. I, beli- and I and I believe it's not courts number thirteen and fifteen rather that that uh, that you're talking about. 
And uh, yes, those courses during some time, especially before noon, before one o'clock during the morning hours, sometimes get a little bit of shade. But overall, I would not call shade versus sun or switching from shade to sun a problem at Roland Garros. Uh, another thing to also about the course, there 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 was this court 17, kind of an iconic court in that uh, it, it was called a show court, but because it had on one side it had stands going pretty far up, but it had a it had a funky unorthodox shape. Yeah, it had stands all along the court, and then there was this small area behind the stands where it would go all all the way up, and when you when you went all the way up, it, it seemed like you were kind of left off in an island watching a tennis match. And now though those stands are gone and the court 17 still exists, but it's not just a practice court. There are no seats around it whatsoever. So there are some changes. If um, for someone who's been coming uh, to Roland Garros regularly, they're going to, when they arrive, they're going to see some changes. Court seven and nine are open back up again. Okay. And uh, they look a lot more modern. They have stands on the sides now, whereas they didn't before. Or, 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 or court seven had stands, but um, um, on the back rather, just a few stands on the back. But now it's it's all around, and it's, it's the building is modernized. So there are quite a few changes. This is an attempt to stay relevant compared to say Australian Open and U.S. Open, which have you know a lot of uh, space compared to French Open. To be honest, um, I'll, I'll just tell you as it is. The, if, if you want to compare space. French Open is, uh, is is still la- French Open lags behind the other majors. There's a, there's a big big uh, space problem at uh, Roland Garros. Even um, even 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 with its renewed state, that uh, even when it's going to be finished and when it's going to be fully finished mm-hmm. by 2020, I believe they say now that uh, that this space problem will continue. There's just not enough space at uh, Roland Garros and. Uh, the first week, of the, especially the first week of the main draw, sometimes it can resemble mayhem. And uh, and God forbid it, when it rains, spectators have really nowhere to hide. You, It's very common at Roland Garros to see the open space, uh, the alley between Suzanne Langlin and Chartrier. Uh, just when it, on a rainy day, it's very possible to see that alley filled with umbrellas. In other words, you look at that alley from a distance, all you see are umbrellas. You don't even see the ground because, you know, people with umbrellas really open them up. They don't they don't have anywhere else to go. And the only places you can hide are, are underneath yeah. Langland and Chartrier courts, and it gets very packed. Um, and then and then there and then there are the lines, you yeah. know, to all the side courts. Sometimes to get into the courts during those days, you may have to wait in line to where you miss a, a whole set or a set and a half of the match that you want to see before you can finally get in. No, I totally relate to it, Murd. When I got there in 2016, it, that's a year of you know which had a lot of rains, and I got there on day one, uh, and I remember standing outside, I think, on court uh, court two to go see the end of Milos Raonic. And I've never stood that long in a line at US Open, which I've gone like plenty of times. So I was there in two hours. The line wasn't moving, but nobody wanted to leave. So I, I realized <laughs> how knowledgeable, you know, the fan base is and people are just like hanging in. Everybody, It was like a rally, like a clay court match. Yes. The line itself, it just did not move. And after two hours there, I finally got to see Raonic and Tipserovic's last set. And then I was, you know, got, I also got a chance to move to court three. But yeah. Uh, I totally appreciate what he's saying. So let's uh, switch quickly back to Code 18, where Ernest Gulbis played this morning. So what was your take? I know you tweeted something about his match. He was showing brilliance and uh, 
uh, at the same time showing an error-filled game. So what has changed? When is the last time you see him? And what impressed you? And what's worrisome if someone is a Gulbis fan like I am? Well, I'll give you... Um... I'll give you an example of of, of what happened in, in Gulbis's match that uh, that may actually summarize um, most of mo- most of what you can uh, what you can uh, consider to be Gulbis's uh, game. It was in the first set, I believe, and uh, and at um, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this, but it was I, I believe around four three. Right, he was leading four three. If I could find it in my notes, I would actually tell you exactly what happened but but what happened is for one game he played a very uh uh, mediocre game i mean he 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 made a terrible error on 15 all and then he went ahead and double fall to that 30 all i believe i believe and then on break point he missed an easy sitter backhand sitter actually well his his favorite shot you know his he claimed back in uh, back when he made the semifinals of the French Open. He claimed during that French Open run that he had the best backhand in the world, and uh, and he he missed that he missed the easy sitter backhand wide, and he lost that game. He went down five three, and then he uh, and then after that terrible game, he comes back and the very next game he's returning. He hits the first forehand return out by three meters, but he hit it in the way like if you were like if you would think that he's tanking the match or he's gonna tank that game and lose the first set six three. So he he made that mistake. He went down 15 love and then he comes and then he pulls four incredible winners in a row and breaks. Gets back to five four. And then that five four game, again he has, he plays one really bad point, one great shot. Uh, one where he misses a high volley in the net, but then on the next point he hits an incredible drop shot. So it's very erratic on and off. And and here's what's interesting too. And if you followed Gulbis for a while, you will think, well, he does that all the time. But today, even by his standard, he was doing this a lot. He was looking up at the plane. He was complaining about uh, uh, somebody speaking behind the stand somewhere by court 17. He would constantly, right as he's about to serve, stop his service motion and look up at the stands at someone whispering something next to, to the person next to them. He would complain to the referee. He would complain about someone moving his arm to where the light reflecting off his watch was bothering him. Just little things like this all the time. In fact, um, when he uh, faced a set point, uh, he served the first serve and missed it. And before he served the second serve, he turned around and just gave a really dirty look to somebody behind and took about 10 seconds there just looking at that person and then came back and served the second serve in and saved the set point. But, you know, that that's that's just incredible how much he's uh, distracted by every little thing that's happening. You know, the, 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 when I'm down a set point and I miss my first serve, the last thing I want is to do something else before I serve the second serve. You know, I don't, I don't want to lose my rhythm and double fault, but he does that, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, he's been, he's been very streaky. I followed some of his results and even got some live streams in his uh, challenger uh, circuit. And he's been pretty streaky even by his standards. So do you give him much of a chance against his next opponent, uh, the Italian, Travaglia? I think he's won a lot of matches on the challenger yeah. tour in the last year and a half. No, against Travaglia, I think he'll have his work cut out for. Uh, Travaglia is, uh, has had a good... Um, uh, last 12 months, let's say. 
And, uh, and Travaglia is the kind of guy who will make you win the points, who, who's not going to give anything away. He's a, he's a grinder. He's a fighter. Uh, I think Gulbis is going to have his word cut out for, and that no, that's going to be that's going that's going to be a tough out for Gulbis. It's not going to be um, it's not going to mm-hmm. be the same as Stefan Robert. Stefan Robert today, by the way, Robert just turned turned thirty eight, and physically yep. physically he's in great shape still, but he's not the player he used to be. Uh, Travaglia presents a much larger challenge than Robert. I don't think I don't think he will win against Travaglia if he plays at the level that he did, he did today. He will have to up his level. I think it's a very fair call. Uh, did you get a chance to uh, check out Taro Daniel? I know he's uh, already won an ATP event this year. Uh, did yes. you get a chance to see him play? You know, that that's one of those examples. There there we go again. You know, Taro Daniel didn't necessarily grow up on clay courts. Uh, but, uh, but um, uh, again, he was playing a typical clay quarter in Estrella Burgos. But yet... Taro Daniel, at the end of the day, was the guy who was winning the longer points. He was, um, when he came down to these four all, 30 all points, or even in the beginning of the third set, you know, when they split sets, Estrella Burgos stole that second set and extended it to the third. And when the third set began, those first couple of games, again, Taro Daniel was just error-free and just moving very well, getting into position, getting to a lot of balls, and basically out-rallying his opponent, not in the sense that he was pushing him around or winning points with winners, but out-rallying him simply in terms of solid consistency, you know, keeping the ball deep and getting the ball back. And and uh, let me tell you, Taro Daniel must have gotten a lot of confidence from that uh, from that. Uh, tournament title from an ATP event title in Istanbul because uh, because he's 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 tough to beat uh, he's he's got uh, he's getting a, he's running a lot of balls down and he's accelerating with his backhand and forehand very well when he cuts cross court balls in other words when the opponent hits a cross court ball he does a good job of moving inside the baseline cutting the angle and taking the ball on the rise and going for the down the line winner he does that with the backhand as well as many of the top ATP players. I don't know if I explained it well, well enough, but when the opponent hits a backhand cross court, mm-hmm. instead, of, instead of going parallel to the baseline and reaching out for that cross court ball, what he does is he steps inside this, the baseline and cuts the angle of the ball before it gets out of hand and accelerates it down the line to the open court very well. Mm-hmm. You think that's more like Safin-esque, like something like Safin used to do, if I'm understanding it correctly? Or I know it doesn't have the same kind of power, but is it the same mechanism? I think Safin did it a little bit better, Sakib. <laughs> but yes, it is a, it is a comparable shot, yes. He, he, uh, Safin used to. But I think, though, Safin also would step in and make it look like he's going to hit that down the line winner and then all of a sudden pull a drop shot at the last second. Hmm. Which, uh, which you know, so he had he had more options. He could also go back cross court, but the, Taro Danya specifically hits that down the line backhand very well off of a cross court shot, which is not easy to do because you have to kind of wait till the ball gets more next to you. You cannot hit the ball too far in front of you, like we we usually tell students to do. You know, to try to hit the ball in front of you, but here you have to kind of let the ball get past you, in a, in, a, in a, to be able to get it. Uh, down the line, but the, Tara Daniel hits that shot very, very well. Uh, let me ask you one thing, Murd. I know this uh, challenge, sorry, this uh, wildcard draw is again has 128 men. So to round off this, these are roughly the top 200, uh, 200 or top 220 
players of the ATP who are trying to compete at this French Open. And we all know the margins are very slim at this level. So for Ataro Daniel, like who won the Istanbul uh, tournament, uh, how does that 250 win, what does that do for his confidence when he's placed in this kind of a draw? I know there are no easy draws because all these players have somewhat, you know, skill set that can set something off each other. But at the same time, what does that do to some guy's confidence who's been struggling in the ranks and now he's got a 250 title? Uh, and how does he see his chances uh, at this qualifying tournament? Well, it can work both ways. You know, you can, he can look at it as, as uh, as okay, I won an ATP title, so I really should be in the main draw of the of a major of the next major, especially on the same surface. But lo and behold, I'm having to play qualifying, and then let alone he's the top seed, so it may put even more pressure on him in the sense that I'm now I'm expected to to make it to the main draw, or or it can give you extra motivation. It can work the other way, in other words, in in a, in a positive way, where you're thinking, okay, you know what? I, I just won an ATP title. I've beaten players, if not one or two players, even higher level than most of the players in qualifying, which means that now I can do this. In other words, something like qualifying for the main draw of a major that may have seemed as as such a great accomplishment or such an unreachable, unreachable task, uh, unreachable goal, may now seem like, may now seem like something very well within your grasp. In other words, you, he may go into it saying, okay, you know what, I, I just I just won an ATP title. I know I can do it. If I play my level, I'll make it to the main draw. And, I, and I'm, probably, I'm thinking that that's probably how Taro Daniel approaches it. And that's where winning that ATP title comes in handy because you're not going to be you're not going to be in this situation where you think you're, doing, you're accomplishing something incredible. You feel like you're accomplishing something that your level deserves. And that's how you build confidence. Sure. And and I, and I believe, I mean, if you look at the tour and follow it like we do, uh, anywhere from the ranks from 80 to like 140, it's like, a, if of course, if no player is injured, it's like a revolving door because only a handful of points separate, you know, the players and everybody's going through that carousel yeah. one by one. So talking about uh, those kind of players, Santiago Giraldo and uh, Tanasi Kokanakis, they have lived, you know, in the top 100. And uh, Giraldo actually was seeded a few years ago at Slams. So now he's back in the mix here. Did you get a chance to catch him and Kokinakis, their matches? I watched a little bit of Kokinakis, but I watched the worst part of Kokinakis for him. I saw some of the first set. And uh, and he was not, I saw the the second, third, fourth, and fifth games, and, and he did not look good there. And then I saw later on the scoreboard that he br- he brought it back, which I first, I am a, I am a Kokinakis fan. So I was glad to I was glad to see that he came back and won that match, and I'm going to try to make sure that I watch his next match against Jurgen Zop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that should be a fun match. But uh, but yeah, I mean what you're saying is very valid with Kokinakis. And also let's not forget today there was a match between Tommy Robredo and Simon Bolelli. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know the, the Robredo is you know former top ten player. Uh, Simon Bolelli is a super solid player, uh, and uh, and you know those two guys ended up playing each other in the first round of qualifying. Whereas, I don't know, a few years back or several years back, if those two played in the quarterfinals of an ATP tournament, you would not have been that surprised. Yeah, I mean those those were like a perennial, I think, a top twenty clay quarters for for a long time, and really hits a yeah. big ball, and he's been you know 
you know, in those sort of ranks where he has to qualify. So that's probably, yeah, that's probably not too long. Yeah, on, on, and also, uh, ju- just like you said, uh, you know, these guys have been uh, have been in the big stage before. So for them, having to play qualifying may, um, may um, bruise their ego a little bit. But at the same time, they probably believe that they can make it to the main draw more so than those other guys who've never yeah. been there before. So, yes, they do have an edge, definitely. So how do you see the Kokonakis Zop match that's going to be, I think, played tomorrow? Yes, I, w- I, saw, Zop, I saw Zop's match against uh, the young Frenchman, the lefty Hugo Gaston, pretty much the whole match. So uh, I, I, I can talk for Zop. Unfortunately, I can't talk for too much Kokonakis because the only four games I saw, he, he didn't do well at all. But assuming that, considering that he came back and won that match, I'm very interested to see if they were both at their best. I would for sure pick Kokinakis, even on clay. But uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but now in this case, I'm not sure. You know, that's a 50-50 match. I would still think that if Kokinakis fa- finds his rhythm and uh, and is able to create angles, which he can do, he should be able to overcome Jurgen Zop, who's actually seated. But uh, but because Zop is more of a straightforward you know, solid, uh, hit the ball deep kind of player. Uh, Kokinakis has more variety in his game. But again, I, 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 I would need to see where Kokinakis' game is. And then I didn't get a good, um, good I, I can't really gauge it from what I've seen. I wish, it, but, but I'm very curious about that match. So if we talk again after that yep. match, I'm sure I'll have a lot to say because I think I'm going to sit down and watch that whole match. Sure. Another guy that we, you and I discuss offline is the young Frenchman, uh, Blancano, and he's going up against, I think, one of the two remaining Americans, Dennis Kudla. Uh, how do you see that match if, uh, if you were to break that down for tomorrow? Excellent. Actually, that's the first match I had on my list If uh, here on my paper. I, I was thinking if Sakib asks <laughs> about any interesting second rounds, which one should I mention? That's on the top of my list right there. Kudla versus Blancano. That's going to be a, a, a battle if there were any. And if that match goes three sets, uh, look for that match to extend to three hours possibly. Uh, it could be – these are two guys who will, uh, who will not give up, who will um, run every ball down. Um, at, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, although Kudla is the more experienced guy and he's, and he's, and he's had a more accomplished career, so to speak, I tend to lean towards Blancano there simply because he's. Um, he, first of all, it's 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 at it's in Paris. It's at the French Open where Blancano plays well. He won the he won the French Open juniors two years ago, and uh, in front of his own crowd, I think he's going to be he's going to have a little bit of an edge. It's got, a lot a lot is going to depend on the first set there. I think if Kudla can win the first set, his chances will of course improve just like any other person who wins the first set, but even more so in his case because his, his match against Guillermo Clezar was quite dru- quite grueling. And I don't know how much uh, how much he'll have recovered by uh, by the next match. Blancano played three sets too, but it was not as grueling as Kudla's win against uh, Clezar. But that's an that's an, a great match to watch if you're if you were in Paris and so if somebody walked up to me on Thursday and said, which second round men's match should I watch? That would be on the top of my list right there. Sure. And then uh, there are a couple of very talented guys I want to get your opinion on. One is, of course, uh, we've talked, you know, so many times with Mert and Andrew and the gang, is Martin Klizan. Uh, 
he he came through against India's Sumit Nagal, I think 6-1 in the third. Uh, did you get a chance to take a peek on Klizan or is it something on your order of play for tomorrow? No, I did not take a look. I did not get to take a look at Klizan, but I do want to watch his match against Kajmanovic. Uh, that should that should be an interesting match. I do. I, uh, I, I'm a fan of Klizan. I do think sometimes though he he's, he's um, his clock goes off. In other words, he, he can he can have strings of uh, three four games where he makes a lot of mistakes. Mm. So a lot is going to depend on that uh, on on how he's going to start. That match also is going is going to depend a little bit on um, on how Klizan serves his his first serve. If he gets a, if he gets in a lot of first serves in early in the match because he likes to take charge after getting his after getting a good first serve in, I think he can get the best of Kajmanovic, who doesn't necessarily have huge uh, huge weapons. But uh, but yeah, we'll have to see. I, I, I'm I'm curious to see how Klizan will serve in the very beginning of the match. Is Klizan one of those players, Mert, whose game really lends well to all surfaces? I know he had he was serving for the set against Nadal in Barcelona. Is he a kind of guy who can play really well on all surfaces if he, you know, if if he puts it all together? Yes, he, although he does have a bit of a, uh, I mean, some of his swings need, needs a little bit of time. So I'm not sure if on a super fast surface he might he might be late on some of his strokes. Especially, for example, on our on running forehand, sometimes it, it tends to wing. It tends to take a big swing and wing the arm big, and yeah. uh, you know, fast course that might hurt him a little bit. But no, I agree with you. The, the overall, I was I was being nitpicky a little bit when I said that. Klizan can do well on all surfaces, although it seems like he he likes he likes clay. All right. So another match on my wish list uh, to get an opinion from you is a talented uh, young Canadian, uh, Felix Auger, alias Sami. I don't know if I said the name right. And he's playing a, a young man from Spain. I think last name is Munar. Uh, is that something that you're looking forward mm-hmm. to tomorrow? And uh, if you want to break it down for us? Definitely. Auger, alias Sami. I watched his match against um, uh, Lloyd Harris. And uh, he won six four six three, and he looked very very solid. His footwork is is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, you know, a lot of times people are are in awe with Oger Aliassim's uh, strokes and uh, the way he can accelerate, or he can just be consistent, or he can go for big shots. But his footwork is absolutely phenomenal. The only reason why he's able to do all those great shots and he's able to get to all those great ball all those great balls and pull counter punches that most other people can't is because his footwork is just phenomenal and he he he, he really gets in um, gets in position and, and I'll tell you what he's very popular here he's uh, very well liked uh he's uh, pr- probably the fact that he speaks french has a lot to do with it I'm but sure. uh, but but the, yeah, the French crowd lo- likes him. I mean, when he came off the court after his match against Lloyd Harris, you wouldn't believe how many kids wanted to wanted to have have him sign a ball or get a picture taken with him, or even families. You know, there were families with kids; mm-hmm. they wanted a picture with him, and he and he, and he was he was he was a five star polite with everybody. In other words, he he pleased everybody and took pictures. So I think he's going to have the crowd behind him too when he. Whenever he steps onto the court, unless he play, unless he plays a French person, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. But he's going to have the crowd behind him. I actually, I actually think when I'm looking at that side of the draw where he is, I, I think we're going to see Ojeda Aliassim in the main draw. That's uh, I'm a terrible picker usually, but um, 
I like his chances where he is. Even the Italian Sonego, I think, who's had some... Also, Sonego has to get past Ducky Lee first, but uh, but yeah, Sonego and Lee, I still, I still like Oger Aliasim's chances. Of course, he has to get past Munar too, but uh, but if if you were to, let's let's put it this way, if you were to say, Mert, you have to pick somebody out of those four players or I stop my friendship with you. <laughs> Since Sakib, I value your friendship greatly, <laughs> I will, and, and I feel forced to pick a name. I would definitely pick Oger Aliassim. All right, there you go. You've heard it here first. So yeah, let's uh, a lot of eyes on this guy anyway. So let me ask you one more question based on what you just said about his footwork. Uh, when Dennis Shapovalov was losing, I think uh, in the initial phase of this clay swing, so there was a lot of talk on Twitter like he's just another North American player who has great footwork but doesn't have the clay court movement. So for someone like Ali Sami, you think uh, footwork translates well as far as the movement goes? He could excel on clay or that'll change if he's playing a real clay court exponent? No, no, no. Oger Eliasim's footwork is, is quite suited to clay courts. He slides well. He gets in position. He also, he's able to also hit these shots where he slides and he's stretched and he can flick the wrist to get that cross-court angle with the forehand. Or, or perhaps just get that last second uh, push with the little wrist snap uh, on a stretched backhand. He, he slides well. I, I, I don't think Ogier Eliasim has any trouble uh, uh, playing on clay courts. Again, off topic. Also, you know, another, thing, another thing to keep in mind, Ogier Eliasim doesn't necessarily spend all his time in Canada. He, he practices a lot on uh, in, in Europe, too. So that's probably is a fundamental difference, I think. Uh, but again, off topic, I know this is we are discussing not the main draw, but uh, were you impressed in the strides that uh, Shapovalov made uh, in his clay game in the last two events? Yes, yes, I am. I am impressed. I, I, I'm a big uh, Shapovalov fan. I, 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 I really like his game. I think he's he's going to be a great player. But I, but even I, because um, you know when you when you like a player or when you when you appreciate a player's game or when you're a fan of his, you tend to think not in you know outside of objective terms. But uh, even as a fan of his, uh, I didn't think that he would do this well on clay court. So, yes, I'm impressed. And, and, I, and I still don't think his game is very suited to clay court. So, it's, it's, so that's why it makes his run that much more impressive. He does have a couple of holes in his game he has to, full, he has to fill, though, um, I would, such as um, uh, backhand returns, for example. I think he tries to come over the top of the ball too much, even when he's on the stretch. Uh, he probably should. I, I I wish that he would use more the block slice return a little bit more. So yeah, there are some things he can work on. Uh, but as long as he doesn't get in, you know you know as long as he doesn't suffer injuries because it looks it looks like his game requires a lot of effort. So I don't know what's going to happen there. But if he doesn't suffer injuries, if he doesn't have if he doesn't have major setback in terms of injuries, I think he's going to be a great player. But uh, but yes, I am to going back to your original question. I am surprised with how well he's done on clay courts. Yes. Okay. All right. So back to the qualies here, and then Bernie Tomic is uh, you know he made this I think final lost to John Millman a few weeks ago at a challenger in France, and now he disposed uh, Darren King seven six six love, and uh, he's going to play I think UK's I think uh, Clark in the next round. Did you get a chance to see either player? And uh, uh, if you did. Uh, just walk us through. No, actually, I did not get to see uh, Tomic play. 
uh, more people have asked me about him than anyone else. In other words, I've, I've had a lot of people asking me, have you, have you seen Thomas play? Did you see his match? Did you see that? And no, that's one match I did not get to see play. play because in the first rounds of a qualifying in the majors, I try to go see players that I have watched less. Until then, I've mm-hmm. seen Thomas was one of those guys that I've seen play many times before. So I figured if he wins, I'll go and watch his, uh, watch his next match. And in his next match, I am interested because he's playing Jay Clark, who, in my opinion, is a very promising player. Uh, but Clark, Jay Clark's um, first round, now, I only got to see the second the, the second set when he played the uh, Ram Kumar Ram Kumar Ramanathan. Yes, he played him. I only got to see the second set that he lost, and I didn't think Jay Clark played very well. And then I talked to his coach. Afterwards, Esteban Carril and uh, Esteban wasn't very happy with his game, even even on the two sets that he won. In other words, overall, he didn't think that uh, it was a very good match. As uh, uh, it, he didn't think it was a very good match of tennis. Period. Overall, the whole three sets. But uh, since I didn't get to see Tomic play at all, I, I'm I'm un, I'm unable to really gauge what's going to happen in that match. But uh, Clark is a player that really interests me, and watching Tomic can always be a uh, feat. So, um, you know, Sakib, when you talk about what can Tomic do in his next round, a lot of it depends on how he feels mentally in that match. You know, we can, we can, we can talk strategy all we want, but he can just all of a sudden come out and, and go down 3-love and 30-love and, and decide he's going to tank the first set away and then try to come back the second set. Or all of a sudden he'll start playing well. I don't think his game is very well suited to clay courts. So uh, it's, I think he's got his work cut out for here against against Jay, Jay Clark. He, he does not have a bad draw, though. He's, he, you know, then he, the winner of that match would play against Oliveira and Choinsky. I think that's just that, that, that that's a section of the draw that uh, that that could have. I mean, Tomic Tomic got a good draw. I think if if he's going to try to make the main draw of uh, French Open, he probably wouldn't have couldn't have asked for a better draw than this. Okay, another guy I want you to take is uh, the Egyptian Mohammed Safwat. I've been talking to this guy for a podcast interview last year. A lot of times we made plans and it fell through. Uh, mostly because of my limitation, because you know I needed him to have a laptop. But uh, how's his game? He's been someone who's been doing the rounds of the ranks. He's, I think, you know, playing tennis for a living is tough. Uh, did you get a chance to see him here or before? Uh, just talk talk to me about this guy if you know him well. Yeah, no, I don't actually, Sagib. Unfortunately, I don't. I need to. I need to watch him. The only time I, I watched him was uh, was I think on a on a on a broadcast on a challenger. And it, I didn't get to watch it too much, so I don't. And I didn't get to watch his match over here either. And he played Rolla Blas, and he beat him six four in the third. Um, and now he played. So no, I mean, I, I you know, I, I actually like Blas Rolla. I think Rolla is a, is a pretty good player. So Safwad to beat Rolla must be a pretty good player himself. But I haven't watched him enough to be able to say anything to you. So I'm sorry, I'm going to let you down on this question. No, that, that's, that's totally fine. Maybe you know you'll get a chance next time to see him. Yeah, he's playing locks on him, so uh, I'd like to see that. Well, instead of going through match by match, is there anyone else that you would want to share uh, with the audience of the podcast that who could be on the radar or who impressed you or who you've heard good things about? Because a lot of names here that are familiar, and then every now and then there's a name and a line that we a lot of people may not know about. Yeah, no, I was I was incredibly impressed with uh, with the with with the um, with the Indian player uh, Prajnesh Gunaswaran. 
I, uh, you know, he went, he played Salvatore Caruso, the Italian player. And, uh, and he has, I mean, he's, he's played an aggressive style, style of game that should not normally translate into success on red clay, but, uh, his, his first serve, he's a lefty too. And he's got a big wind up on his forehand when he, when he prepares to hit it. And I, I watched him a few times before. That's why I was curious to see how he would do here. And I went into my, into that match thinking that he's going to have his work cut out for against Salvatore Caruso, who's a, who's a good, good clay quarter. And yet, uh, even though the score was 6-4, 6-4, I can tell you that Gunes Warren won that match fairly handily. And, mm. and, and, and the, even in the long rallies, in other words, they engaged in long rallies. And Gunes Warren is a tall guy. He's, he's a tall, kind of lanky-looking lefty. But yet he moves pretty well. And, and with his forehand, he did a lot of damage. And now he's playing against Marcelo Arevalo. And uh, and I'm I'm really curious to see how he's going how he's going to do there because um, that would be to me that would be a kind of a shocker if Gunesswaran was to somehow get out of there and make it to the main draw. But after watching him in the in the first round, I I do not I do not want to count him out. So that that would be a player that uh, that that impressed me. I'm also impressed by Blancano, you know, the French guy that we've already talked to, talked uh, earlier. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, an, another player that uh, that impressed me on on, on the women's side, uh, Anna Blinkova, that I watched today. He beat she beat uh, Chalabuka in six three six two, and uh, she 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 was taking balls early, hitting winners, you know, going for some flat winners on clay courts, which is not an easy thing to do. So I was impressed by her, although I watched her many times before, and I've always been impressed. But I've never seen her do it that good on clay courts. She's she's more of a fast court player, uh, so that, those 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 two or three would be the ones that uh, that I would um, that I would um, that I would you know advise people to go see in terms of a player that may that may go far. You know, then then you got of course Pedro Sousa, who's a, who's an excellent clay court player, and he's on the um, and I I actually like his draw. He's playing Trunjeliti next. And then if he wins, he's going to play the winner of Hanfman and Hurkacz. And um, I like Pedro Sousa's chances there on that uh, on that little section of the draw. Frangeliti has made the main draw a few years ago when I was there. I saw him lose yes. to uh, Ramos Vinolas in the second or third round. Yeah, so he can. Play. Yeah, yeah. That'll be an interesting. That'll be an interesting match. Absolutely. But if if you if you want to ask, I mean, if, if your question is who impressed you the most out of all the players that you've seen. In the first round, I would go with Ojer Ali Asim. Okay, he's, he's he's really impressive. Not Gulbis, huh? I'm just kidding. <laughs> not Gulbis, not 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 the way he played today. No. <laughs> okay, so th- that was a good roundup. So, is there any anything else you want to share with the audience uh, since you're there? Any changes that are taking place this year that uh, fans? Yeah, the, the, you know, the one thing to touch. Uh, I'll just mention one thing, and then uh, nothing else really comes to my mind. But uh, shot clock adjustment. You know, the 25 second shot mm-hmm. clock. Is, uh, is is in use in uh, this qualifying. It's not the first time that uh, qualifying in majors are putting this into use, but it's it's quite strict here in that uh, in that basically 25 seconds starts, all, you know, a second or two at the latest after the point ends, and unless the unless the server is really in a position to about to toss the ball up for the serve, they'll call they'll call a time violation on you, and a lot of players got called in the first two days. Mm-hmm. 
and, 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 and a few of them even complained as in like, okay, you know, you give me no time or you gave me no warning, nothing. And then the referee simply said, hey, I don't have to give you a warning. It's right there on the uh, on the shot clock on both sides. You can see it for yourself. Yes. And, tw- and 25 seconds goes, you know, go by pretty fast. If a, if a player plays a long point and then walks over to the ball boy and grabs a towel from the ball boy and then, you know, dries his arms and then gives it back to the ball boy and walks to the service line, to, you know, to the line to serve, that's that's not gonna that's not gonna wash. You know, he's gonna have to call the ball boy or the ball girl and bring him, you know, bring him the towel, use the towel, and then and then give it back to them, and then go ahead and start the next point. Otherwise, they're you know, twenty five seconds is gonna go by pretty quick. So that throws out the idea of the towel rack that they were, you know, at least uh, flirting with. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Yes, you know, I, I I think they're gonna try that at the at the next gen uh, finals, aren't they? Where, yeah, yeah. Where, where the players are going to be responsible of their time. Well, you know what? That'll stop, though, um, uh, Sagib. That'll stop some of these players who are just asking for the towel every point just because it turned into a habit. I'm not. Yeah. Sure, I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure that players need 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 to tell every single point, even after double faults or straight miss returns. No, good points there. So, so I think I might be covered a lot, and hopefully, you know. Uh... We can get you back again a couple of times since you're in Paris and uh, we can do maybe a main draw preview uh, depending on your you know availability. But yeah, thanks for doing this. I know it's late there and you have probably a lot of articles to write, but that was very informative. I enjoyed it and hopefully, you know, uh, the audience who tunes into these podcasts will really take away uh, because I think this was gold as far as a lot of names that don't get discussed on a weekly basis. Always a pleasure, Saki. And, and hello to all the listeners. Thank you very much for doing